Welcome to Life of the School, episode 51. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life at the School, I normally sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. But this episode is going to be a little different because I've just spent the last week in Milwaukee at the Center for Biomolecular Modeling. At the Center for Biomolecular Modeling, or CBM, uh, I've been taking a workshop called Modeling the Molecular World. This is one of several professional development workshops that introduce teachers to modeling materials and provides them with an experience necessary to confidently use these materials in their classroom. The Modeling the Molecular World workshop focuses on connecting macroscopic world in which students live with the invisible world of molecules. This includes using models of all sorts during the workshop, including magnetic water molecules, mini tow bar models of proteins, and schematic models of membranes, as well as components of the flow of genetic information from DNA to RNA to proteins. Uh, there is also a wide variety of different teaching strategies and pedagogical moments interspersed throughout the course. So I have uh, pulled the CBM director, Tim Herman, out to talk to me. And so welcome, Tim. Uh, thank you, Aaron. So I, was, uh, I remember the first time we met, um, I was sitting down in a chair in San Francisco okay. um, in a workshop, and you were sitting next to me. And I was like, who is this guy? Um, <laughs> and then I saw you stand up and present because I think we were both in a room early for a workshop and you were the next presenter of that workshop. Yeah, and that I was- I can't say that I remember that, but that might be true. Yeah, you, we've, it's been, you've probably presented that, that same workshop, you know, you know, five dozen times okay. in the last uh, two yep. decades in yep. there. But um, I think you told me I had to come out to Milwaukee and go to that mm -hmm. workshop and it only took me seven years. So uh, I'm glad I got out I'm here. Glad you made it, yes. So I gave you sort of my spiel about what this workshop was about, but you've been doing this for a long time. What do yeah. you kind of hope to have by having teachers from all around the country descend on Milwaukee yeah. for your professional development workshops? Well, I think you pretty well said it. Um, the CBM, Center for Biomolecular Modeling, is a instructional materials development laboratory. We started about 18 years ago at Milwaukee School of Engineering. Because MSOE had at that time and still has a world-class rapid prototyping center. So that was my first introduction to 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And we saw the potential to use that technology to make physical models of these invisible molecular structures. And I've always been interested in education. There's something magical about those high school years when kids don't know anything about the molecular world. Um, and we just saw the tremendous potential to use physical, hands-on, tactile, manipulable materials to focus their attention and to make them curious about what these, these complicated shapes of things are. So we started making physical models of proteins. We started, uh, we started creating other kinds of, of models, and then we started designing professional development experiences for teachers like you. Uh, so the highlight of our whole year are those four or five weeks during the summer when we can bring in a, a group of teachers and spend five days with them exploring some particular topic of biology. 
So that's uh, that's what we've just done for the past <laughs> five five days, and uh, this particular group has been an especially <laughs> talkative, uh, talkative, uh, excitable group that uh, that. Every year we tell the teachers we're looking for their ideas mm -hmm. as to what kinds of new instructional materials they would find useful in their classroom. And we've certainly had several good suggestions from this group of teachers about how we might modify existing materials or come up with something that's even brand new. Yeah, for me it was great. Um, I, all these kind of workshops where you get to sit around a table with a group of teachers working through materials, it's always, it's, it's always enjoyable because you get these perspective. But something that you said early on and sort of been the, the theme of the week is that it's complicated, that what we do is hard. Yeah. And I definitely think that the perspective that you guys bring into the workshop is that not to trivialize, not to dumb down. You, you, yeah. These are words that you've said all week, and I'm just saying yep. them back to you now. Yep. Yep. But um, I, I'm curious where, you know, how does that resonate with, with teachers and, you know, with the community when you bring in this idea of, you know, really driving up and playing up this complicated nature of yeah. the world? Well, I, I, I think it works, and I think it works because because while we, we, we continue to uh, say that it's important to simplify these complex concepts, uh, so we're not saying don't teach the simple. You should start by teaching the simple. The only thing we're adding to that is that once you've simplified it so that most of your students will understand it, the new thing we're talking about is to then add back levels of complexity on top of that. Mm -hmm. And the teacher, who are most familiar with their students, the age of students, the, 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 the complexity of the topic you're talking about, the teacher is best suited to, to know how many levels of complexity that you can add back. What we find is it's those levels of complexity that really generates the interest and the excitement on the part of the students in some of these topics. So you don't want to simplify it so that everybody understands it in a trivial way. You start there, but then you, you show students how amazingly complex it is. And ultimately, you know, when it's done right, you always end up with questions at the end. Mm -hmm. You reach a point where we don't really know the answer to that last level of complex questions that come up when you start thinking deeply about some, name a topic in biology, there's still something to learn about, uh, about that topic. And that's, that's the exciting part about science is that right. if all the answers were known in a book, no scientist would ever have a job. That's right. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that's sort of the The, the flip side of that the, is we will never run out of a job. There no, will always be something to yeah, do. Yeah, there's always great things to go. Yeah. And I, as you were talking, it was making me think about how, you know, this is an extremely diverse group. Um, you know, we have everything from middle school teachers, actually yeah. elementary school teachers, I think. Yeah. We had people who yep. teach as young as fourth grade up through college professors here. Um, is that fairly representative of the types of people who show up to these yeah, workshops? Yeah, this was a very typical workshop. We, we often have that kind of uh, range of, of teachers, and we absolutely love that mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I was talking to someone. We had a biology teacher who happened to be sitting at a table with a couple of really good college chemistry teachers. And he said, you know, he was initially intimidated by these people on Monday 
But by Friday, I think I think he took them them out to dinner sometime <laughs> during the week to thank them for all of the the coaching and, and, and help that he got directly from them as part of this workshop. So it's really great when you can get different kinds of teachers together sharing uh, their own expertise. I personally took a, a middle school teacher on a brewery tour there as you, part of that, there you <laughs> that go. kind of outreach <laughs> while we were here. That's an outreach activity. Yeah, that was yeah. my outreach activity. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and Milwaukee is a, for those who have never been here, and I am, you know, your northeast uh, isolated, but it's a great city. It's been yeah. a lot It's been a lot of fun to spend the week out great. here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we've done this, we've done this intro workshop, the, uh, you know, that, that, that first start, um, and I know you have other workshops, and I know I have, um, you know, some, some former guests who are actually coming back. So in addition to this modeling the molecular world, um, and I know that that's something you run every summer, you right. have another series of workshops that you're looking forward to. So uh, what's this What's this new thing that you guys are just rolling yeah. out now? In two weeks, we'll launch uh, the very first offering of a new five-day workshop called The Science and Ethics of Genome Editing. Mm. So this is all about CRISPR-Cas9. And the exciting part about this is that there will be 24 teachers coming in in you know, this summer will spend five days with us here in Milwaukee and we'll talk about um, not just CRISPR-Cas9 and how gene editing works but but the uh, the technological sort of milestones mm -hmm. between 1953 when <laughs> Watson and Crick discovered the structure of DNA how all that technology developed in those years between then and now so that we're now ready to edit the human genome um, and then it's a two-summer program, so the teachers will then go away with a bunch of materials we've created to, to get their kids thinking about the human genome, how big it is, and how we can edit it with CRISPR. So they will have used those materials in their classroom during the next academic year. And then next, the following summer, instead of coming back here to Milwaukee, We'll take that group of teachers to UC Berkeley, mm. where Jennifer Doudna's uh, CRISPR research group is located. So we'll host the workshop there. We'll talk with the teachers for another five days. But on the Berkeley campus, they'll have a chance to meet the researchers from Dr. Doudna's lab uh, and, and have a more personal exposure to that process of science. So we're really excited about running these sort of two-stage programs in which we sort of provide the basics in one year, but then direct access to researchers in the second year. Yeah, and you said you'd hoped that, you know, in the following year you'll take, bring in a, a when the, that group is going out to California, you're going to bring in a, a cohort two yes. that will then follow up the year after by going out and I would assume going to Broad and, and seeing the other uh, exactly. major leader in the field, yeah. so to speak. And in doing that, you know, the Berkeley and, and, and MIT you know, they're involved in a patent battle about who has the intellectual rights to, to CRISPR technology. The interesting thing is the scientists are not in a battle at all, <laughs> and the scientists get along really well. So we'll be able to talk to the teachers about whether or not science is collaborative or competitive. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that it's both. Yeah. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun for CBM staff to meet both camps of researchers but uh, but also to understand that as people, mm -hmm. they get along very well. <laughs> Their institutions may not get along as well when they're talking about patent rights. But that's uh, that's another side of science that yeah. we uh, 
we'll we'll be talking about and not trivializing and yeah. getting to know those people involved yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, I personally I can I want to thank you for the great week. It's it's been a great time even if I occasionally have to, you know, pipe up and argue. I might be the <laughs> kid who was in the back of the class getting pointed out a few times. That's uh, that's exactly what made this last week so enjoyable. So thanks for being here and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Yeah. Yeah, I said hopefully it won't take 7 years between us. Exactly. Yeah. All right, thanks Tim. You bet. So now I'm sitting down with Judy Baton. Uh, Judy is the program director here at the CBM workshop that we just sat through, and along with many other hats that she wears uh, in this program. Um, so welcome, Judy. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks. Um, so uh, I just sat down with Tim, and we talked to him a little bit about the background of the program and, and that sort of thing. But um, I wanted to get you on, involved because your background was as a classroom teacher who was you know, in the spot that I was in this week. And so I was kind of curious sort of what your first initial workings were coming over to MSOE and learning about the workshops that, that Tim and them were running and sort of how you got involved with this group from the teacher side. Absolutely. So I... It's a. It's actually an interesting story. I think <laughs> that um, I. My background is biology. I have a, a a bachelor's and a master's in biology, but my focus was always on the macro world. So I learned zoology, mammalogy, ornithology, animals and plants, the whole nine yards, and environmental and ecology. But I never really focused on the molecular world. <laughs> to me, that was very foreign. I wasn't very into chemistry so but as a biology teacher after about six or seven years I transitioned into teaching uh, AP biology mm -hmm. which is there's a lot of content that's molecular in AP biology so you know I winged it for the first couple of years I was always only a day or two ahead of my kids I was mm -hmm. cramming in the textbook the night before that I think a lot of you know uh, new AP bio teachers do and and luckily, um, you know, it, I, I, I swear in life it's who you know, mm -hmm. not what you know. But a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, uh, happened to be an, uh, an alum of this these CBM workshops and told me, you really got to take this modeling course at, at the CBM. And so I did. I took that modeling course and, you know, it blew my mind as it does with <laughs> most people who come. Yeah. And it opened my eyes up to the molecular world and it helped me learn um, a lot of the biochemistry and, and um, you know, molecular structure information that I never really fully understood. That I was just basically kind of trying to memorize and then teach my kids via a PowerPoint, but I never really could go any deeper with them until I had this kind of training. So that really opened my, my, my eyes. The course was super helpful and I started using a lot of their 3D models in my classroom. But then above and beyond that, I also um, decided to take another leap and run a SMART team, which is one of the molecular modeling programs, student outreach programs that the CBM sponsors. So between the training I had taking modeling the molecular world and running a SMART team, it greatly enhanced my, my understanding, my conceptualization, my level of comfort um, with teaching molecular stories and teaching biochemistry. Um, I still wouldn't consider myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination in biochemistry, but at least I can talk intelligently <laughs> about DNA and proteins, and that makes a world of difference. Yeah. Um, so that just kind of naturally, organically led down the road of more involvement with the CBM and 
by stroke of extremely good fortune, um, when a position opened up, I was able to apply for it, and, and now I work here, and I feel super blessed to be able to do that. And so now, rather than the participant, you are on the other side introducing yeah. these and running these, and um, you bring this perspective of what it's like to be in a classroom teacher when they start to roll these field test ideas out. Yep. This is what it feels like to be in the classroom. Probably you shorten their um, their design time frame and window by bringing that classroom experience in to to get that set of experienced eyes from the classroom in absolutely yeah there you know we've got a diverse group in the cbm some you know high school middle school teachers are involved but also some college level professors and so since most of our kits are probably geared i mean at least the median age or the mean age would be a high school age kid although some apply to college and middle school mm -hmm. it's nice to bring that perspective so Oftentimes, me and another colleague of mine will jump in and say, oh, I don't know about that concept theory you're trying to dig into because it's not often taught at, at the level that you're trying to meet. So, so I think that experience does help. And, you know, it's been kind of a full circle. I've had a lot of full circle moments, you know, being on this end of facilitating the course coming from the perspective of, of a participant is really, really cool for me to do. Yeah, and so I, I'm looking at the, the variety of things you do, and we I talked to Tim quite a bit about sort of the summer workshop side, um, but you also alluded to it that you are involved with extracurricular mm -hmm. uh, groups or and sometimes classroom extensions of, of these smart teams and these map teams and uh, also Science Olympiad, which I know a lot of mm -hmm. people are familiar with that. So um, we just spent like two hours yeah. talking about those things. So maybe it's an unfair question of giving like the, the, the short version of, <laughs> of like, if you are somebody who is interested and let's say we've now convinced you, you're coming out next summer, you, you have come out, you've done modeling the molecular world. Yep. Um, what are some of the, the ways that you could get involved with uh, doing protein modeling as an extracurricular once you've got that background? Sure, absolutely. So we have, we don't have any sort of a one size fits all program. That's mm -hmm. why we've kind of broken it up into a few different styles of programs. So we do feel like we've got, a, a student modeling outreach program that can fit almost any teacher or classroom need. Um, so the long and short of it is, if you're if you think you have kids who might be interested in the challenge of modeling a protein, basically modeling the story of the structure and function of some cool protein, um, whether it's something relatively well known like insulin or hemoglobin, or something you know kind of esoteric like some crazy enzyme, glutathione S-transferase, for example, um, your kids can do that. And I think a lot of teachers, right off the bat, if the teacher hasn't done it, their initial thought, and this was mine admittedly, was that, well, if I can't do it, how on earth am I going to help my kids mm -hmm. to be able to do it? But my advice is take that leap. Don't be afraid to work alongside your students as opposed to trying to work above them. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's good advice for trying to run a student modeling program. And know that whatever your needs are as a teacher or whatever the needs are of your student, we can cater our program to meet your needs. So if you're not in the Milwaukee area, if you're in a rural area and you don't have access to a local research university, you can still run a program. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you're coaching three other sports and you don't feel like <laughs> you have a lot of time, you can still run a program. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. And we're, you know, we consider it our mission to help you through the process. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, so if you're interested, and I'll put links to the SMART program and the MAP, uh, MAPS program into my show notes. So people who are interested, um, they can always contact me, and I could backfill a little bit in there, but also put the links directly so they'll be able to get your, your email and Diane's email so they'll be able to contact Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, reach out to us, no problem. And then the other thing that we sort of brought up but didn't dive into, and I'm wondering this because uh, my colleague runs a, a Science Olympiad team, and I know that you guys have been starting to get involved with that. So how are you guys connecting a little bit to Science Science Olympiad, which is, I think, is a program that probably more people are familiar with. So what, how are you guys getting involved with them? Yeah, well, uh, I hate to say I won't be able to say too much about Science Olympiad because my familiarity is not that great. I, I know Science Olympiad has been a program that's been around for a while, and it's got different components to it. But we, through the CBM, we specifically sponsor what's called the the protein, I think it's called the protein modeling portion mm. of the Science Olympiad program. And in a nutshell, what happens is the kids get, in advance, they get um, a protein topic. This past year it was, it might have been a zinc finger or, or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. But they'll get a small protein that they research uh, the structure of. And so they have two goals in mind. Uh, one is to make a folded kind of wire foam model of the protein. So kind of in a very science fair kind of style, mm -hmm. they'll make a three-dimensional model um, that they'll put on a board and they'll bring it in physically to a room and they'll, they'll be judged on criteria. Does it have this amino acid display? Does it, does it, is it showing these alpha helices in this mm -hmm. beta sheet? So it's, um, you know, there's a rubric involved and, and scoring that's involved. And then the second component of that program is they then they they do the same thing they model the, pr the protein but they do so in an online environment so they use what's called jmol software uh to design and and model that protein in an online environment yeah and if you if you are somebody involved in science olympiad and you found this to be a pain that cannot give you a <laughs> better endorsement to say that's kind of like what we did for half the week was yeah. work in jmol and work on figuring these protein shapes and a lot of the tools that were here and and we went through were all about that and that seems to me knowing how long uh science olympiad has been around yep. Like it, it's not like you guys went, oh, we're going to start. It just is. It's literally two things that go well together. Absolutely. It's what you guys were doing. It's yep. what Science Olympiad wants. Yep. It's just a it's just a very good yeah. marriage between the, the two groups. So, well, thank you, G. This has been an awesome week. So thank you from as a participant and also thank you for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. Aaron, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. All right, and so uh, third and finally uh, joining me again, returning to the podcast, is our old friend Lee Ferguson. Hello. Hi, Hi Lee. Hello, What's first, hello. First time recording face-to-face -face in the same room. I know. This is very different than a Google Hangout. <laughs> very different than a Google Hangout, <laughs> certainly. So one of the best things about this week, as always at these kind of workshops, is you get to sit down at tables and meet other teachers, and um, Lee and I... In probably the most troublemaking way possibly uh, possible, sat right next to each other. In the this, back. In the back, back <laughs> corner of the room, um, cracking jokes and being terrible students. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's great because we had these wonderful side conversations that we'd have this conversation and model enzymes. And mm -hmm. then we would then engage in conversations. Well, when do you teach enzymes and how do you teach it? And have you ever done this? And have you ever done that? So um, I just want to get your perspective. Uh, what are your initial thoughts here? You've just finished up the week what are your initial right. reflections about the week uh, well I'm gonna go home with a really full brain mm -hmm. um, because every day that I you know went back to the room I was just like oh my gosh we've learned so much today and now I've got to change this 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 <laughs> and this about what I'm teaching next year 
Um, what's also been really nice is actually sitting by you talking to you about how you storyline things. And I'm like, you know, even though I don't teach in an NGSS state, <laughs> I'm starting to think like you people. And <laughs> this could actually be really beneficial for my kids. And so, you know, thinking about how to incorporate not only these models, but other resources that I have access to, like HHMI's materials, um, you know, already existing curriculum materials that we use already, labs, you know, that kind of stuff. And finally, you know, making smooth and seamless connections between all of those things, you know, just started popping up in my head every single day. And so now I want to go sit back down you know, at a computer and go, okay, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And, you know, also as a college board consultant, I'm thinking of ways to, you know, bring this stuff to a bigger audience of people who may or may not be familiar with how they can use models, period, mm -hmm. in their classrooms, you know, as, a, as an inquiry piece, you know, as a, you know, reinforcement of some concept that they're teaching or as an adjunct to something that they're teaching, you know, because I think sometimes for some teachers, modeling is a difficult thing for them to um, approach because, you know, a lot of times people think models are, models, excuse me, are just the physical, yeah. not mathematical, and that sometimes those models, those physical models don't have any mathematical um, connections when in fact you know some of the stuff that we learned this week shows that they most certainly do yeah and so you know if ever you have free time in your summer <laughs> to come and do this workshop I would so highly recommend you know trying to get out here to come to it because I really do think that um, you know at least for me it's going to change the way I teach a lot of things um, ask me again in December <laughs> and yeah. once I've had a chance to incorporate some of this stuff but I, I can already see how it's going to you know really you know change some of the things that I do in my classroom and improve learning for my kids so. yeah and I think that it was um, you know we talked about models and models have definitely been a journey that I've been on in the last couple of years as we've been we've been toying around with that idea and a lot of different people have been working with it but I think that what you end up seeing here is multiple different representations yes. like really complicated physical models yes. really complicated you know we talked about the digital models of jmol mm -hmm. and then very simple i mean the enzyme model that we had I, i'll be honest the first time i looked at that it's a little foam model and i looked mm -hmm. at it and i was like yeah we don't need this and then we got our hands on it mm. and even the two of us were going back and forth and we're yeah. like well what about this uh -huh. and i thought the the question that i don't ask enough that came up a lot this week are what are the limitations of this model right well and i think the other thing too is that you know some of the simplest models that we worked with like the the enzyme one that you're talking about the substrate mm -hmm. binding model even the data dilemma model yes. lead to some very complex questions mm -hmm. that kids can ask, you know, and those are the types of questions we want our students to ask, you know, and, and that, you know, that we should be letting them ask, yeah. you know, because that's what drives the conversation because that was something else that stuck with me this week was the whole idea that, you know, an answer kills a conversation, a great you point. know, and that what should be driving the conversation in your classroom are questions, mm -hmm. right? It's just all kinds of questions from students and teachers alike, you know, and that the minute an answer drops, then that just stops everything. Yeah. And they were, and we got a few times where it was like, we would do this. And I don't know if this happened to you last night, we were modeling something that's, they're getting ready to field test. And, and Tim came over and was asking me like, 
how do different chromosomes find each other in meiosis in order to do crossing over? Mm-hmm. I know you've taught crossing over a million times. Oh, yeah. I've crossed, crossed <laughs> like it's it's something there. I was around a table full of teachers and none of none us of had it. a good Yeah, I was going to say, answer. we were all just kind of like, um, that's a great question. I have no idea. And I was really dissatisfied with the answer we ended up getting too. But that's also good. I think that mm-hmm. it, it brought up both the strengths and weaknesses, but it also encouraged the conversation. Right. And I think that when you're talking about, you know, the answers killing the questions, if we can ask questions that can be answered simply, then it's very easy for both us as teachers to naturally answer the question and move on. But it's mm-hmm. also very easy for the kid to, to Google an answer and say, oh, well, this is the answer, and then stop that journey. Or to cop out and say, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and that's the last thing we want kids to do. Yeah, somebody modeled that really nicely earlier, and they're like, when, you know, they said, when somebody says, I don't know, they then ask them the follow-up, well, what yes. do you know about this topic? Right. And they started sort of helping them unpack and break down. And right. to me, that was like, well, that's, that's a great way of dealing with right. the student. And, and that's something that I think we could probably all be better at doing, you know, is, is instead of being satisfied with the, well, I don't know, you know, and letting that kid go and remain ignorant, yeah. you know, you know, follow up with, okay, well, what do you know? Just kind of try and dig that prior knowledge out of that kid. Yeah. And because you, know, you know, they know something. Yeah, and also, and also, you know, I, I brought this conversation up earlier in the week. When we get the kids at high school level, they've already decided this is the, these are the kids who are good in science. Mm-hmm. These are the kids that are bad in science. That's and, right. And the fact is, is that no 14-year-old should already feel that they're fixed. You know, no 18-year-old exactly. should feel that they're fixed. No. Um, but a lot of the language we use in school fits that way. And I think a lot of the conversations we had, um, I had brought that up with Tim, that he talked about knowing and recognizing how complicated things are and not over trivializing things and right. having that space for these conversations and these questions right. i think will will help break maybe some of those kids out of that I hope so. idea so i I'm hope so well and you know mentioning the whole not trivializing the things that are very complex i think a lot of times what we do in our classrooms unfortunately you know in light of that you know conversation that we had is that we oversimplify things and then the problem with that is that when you do ask questions about those things, having out oversimplified it for kids, then what more is there for them to ask? Yeah. Right? You know, what more is there for them to be curious about? Mm-hmm. There's nothing for them <laughs> to be curious about when you've just made it so plain and simple. Yeah. You know, at least that's my perception. You know, and so you do have to explain to them up front, hey, look, you know, yeah, we present this model to you like this. But understand that there's really a lot of moving parts. And, you know, because like yesterday when he was talking about all the different proteins that were involved in just simply moving the chromosomes apart from each other, I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I didn't remember all of that stuff. Yeah. It's, you know? And several because of them I hadn't were ones. Taught it in yeah. ever. Several, several of the phrases they brought up I had never even heard about. Yeah. I can remember back to, it must have been. It was either, I think it was my first year teaching in Acton. So we're talking 18 years ago at this mm-hmm. point. And I remember a girl coming up on the mid-year and I had a question it was like so all of the following are true about enzyme except and one of them was that they change shape Mm. um, as a result of the reaction and the girl came up and she put her um, her paper in front of me it says you're not talking about allosteric enzymes are you I was like no but I know remember that kid that she saw the flaw in my question Mm -hmm. because and enzymes change shape yeah enzymes do change shape in the middle of the reaction they just don't change because of the reaction and I had oversimplified I trivialized 
the, what is going on with an enzyme reaction. And I had a kid who was not only smart enough to know that it wasn't 100% true, but they were able to read the context of the questions right. and deal with the dumb me as a teacher <laughs> for putting that question on. And I don't think anybody else questioned that, but it was, right. it, it, it was great. Well, and I bet at that moment, though, you were just like, so I probably should not ever do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I think my answer at the time was probably, oh, I need to clarify the language on this question, not I need to clarify the language of what <laughs> my job. Well, and then if you think about it, really what it goes back to is, you know, teachers learning how to ask better questions, yeah. you know, that dig at the heart of what you're really trying to teach the kid. Because, you know, so often we ask, I think, what did Tim tell us? It was, you know, the the what. The what, yeah. We ask him the what, but not the why. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, the what questions are really those low-level, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, depth of knowledge mm -hmm. type questions that are just recall, yeah. right? And we need to get away from asking recall. If we really expect students to learn, you know, the, the principles behind our discipline, we have to get away from the what. We have to go mm. toward the why and the how. And, 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 and really learn to ask better questions. Yeah, and I think as, you know, I'm sure you've been doing it as well. I've been mm -hmm. having my students ask a lot more questions mm -hmm. over the last few years. And I think that the thing that gets mirrored back to me is my students ask me or ask each other the types of questions that they perceive that they are asked. And oftentimes, particularly freshman and sophomore years, almost all their questions are the what. Right. They're a series of closed questions, okay? mm -hmm. questions that can either be answered with, you know, one word or a phrase or something that is relatively trivial. And it is not until you have modeled significant question asking that they get to asking a why or but they want to they want to ask questions that can have a quick check because yep. that's what they're used to. That's what they're accustomed to. And so I think, you know, <laughs> mouths of babes, you got to listen to what they have to say yep. and, and take that as feedback of the overall skills of what we've been doing. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, so if you are um, if you have the celebrity of Lee Ferguson in, in, in any of your APSIs <laughs> this summer or if you're part of her, her PLC, I see you said you're going to bring that back to your PLC. Mm -hmm. I know I'll be bringing it back to the teachers in my building, and I'm sure I'll be talking about a few of these on, on future episodes as we, as we move forward. Um, it's going to be great to to work with these, but um, yes. I, I will. I'm going to embarrass Lee and say that being <laughs> being at a workshop with Lee is kind of like being at NABT with Paul Anderson because people <laughs> keep coming up and asking for selfies, and yeah, people are interrupting the introductions. They're like, "Are you that Lee Ferguson?" And the answer is, "Yes, she's that Lee Ferguson." So it's it's been fun being in the in the. Uh, it's like even celebrities can learn too. <laughs> yes, uh, we sometimes have to go to school too. Yeah, it's been it's it's been a really fun week, and um, as I said, the, yes. it was a it was a great week a super diverse group of teachers yes um, and you know we, we've talked a lot because we were both at the AP read mm -hmm. which is the antithesis it's a very small group that go to the AP you yeah. know it's a it's a group of college professors a group of high school teachers and we all hung out with our friends anyway mm -hmm. uh, but and it's not diverse in the same way that this group is yeah and this diversity was I mean, we uh, had middle school teachers we had college professors we yeah. had you know, teachers that teach in affluent areas, mm -hmm. private schools, public schools, inner city schools, Indian, Indian reservations. reservations. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, it, it was. I think hearing the questions and perspectives of teachers who teach in diverse backgrounds 
makes you reflect differently on what you do with your yes. kids when you get there. So for uh, sure. Yeah. So I shipped all my stuff back, and so in a week, I'm gonna get all those boxes, <laughs> open them all up, and I'll be like, "What is all this?" Uh, <laughs> but you took lots of notes. <laughs> I did take a ton of notes, and they're multicolored, which I got picked on a little bit for, but that's all right. <laughs> I don't judge. Yeah, I draw pictures. <laughs> yeah, you. Lee's drawing pictures. I'm drawing color, multicolored notes. We're, we're we're. This is what bad kids do in the back of the room. So, well, thank you, Lee, for joining me. No, I appreciate you getting your perspective in there. Uh, let me give uh, my one and only uh, plug for this episode is going to be the Center for Biomolecular Modeling Workshop. So I'll put the link in. That is my pick of the episode. Um, you can support this and every episode by going to patreon.com slash lots. That's where I post my show notes. I'll also get my shows up a little bit earlier to my Patreons. Uh, I put them in a Slack community, which has the supporters of myself and Kanucky, who's probably on the other side of the globe right now, and John Darko, who's been texting me about stuff all summer. And uh, and music on this and every episode is provided by X Magicians. You can get show notes on lifeoftheschool.org. And you can also tweet at me, at Mr. Matthew Tweets, or at Life of the School. You can tweet at Lee at the Biospace, or go to her website because she's got a ton of great stuff too. Uh, so thank you all for joining me and I'll talk to you all soon.